Father, you, your word says, blessed is the one who delights in your law or in your word and on your word meditates day and night. And so, Father, as we come to consider your word, we pray that you would give us a delight in it, that you would help us to not just hear it, but meditate on it, take it, take it with us even uh, this week. Uh, and Lord, think about how it is speaking to our lives. Father, we pray that the, the focus and the attention today would not be on my words, but would be on your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what tempts you to despair? When are you most likely to feel hopeless? What makes you want to give up? But for many, it's been the last two years of COVID, the constant threat of getting sick, the isolation, the endless restrictions. Maybe it has not been COVID that has tempted you to despair. Maybe it is continual financial struggles. Maybe it is having a difficult job that you just want to quit. Maybe you do not have a job and you are hopeless that you will ever get a job. Maybe what tempts you to despair is being separated from your family back home. Maybe you or a, a member of your family has some significant health struggles. Maybe you're tempted to despair because of unfulfilled desires or, or longings, the desire for a spouse or children that you do not have. Well, the reality is our, our fallen, sin-filled, broken world presents any number of reasons for despair. Uh, I imagine that many in Ukraine are feeling the hopelessness and despair of war right now. And many strong, faithful Christians throughout history have had long struggles with discouragement and depression. Reasons for despair abound. And the reality of sin means that, that some have real medical issues, issues of mental health or, or physical ailments that contribute to severe depression or discouragement. Uh, so in this sermon, I do not want to minimize the physical causes of despair or discouragement or depression, but... Pastors are given to the care of souls, not bodies. And so I will leave that in the realm of medical professionals. And I will just say to, to be careful as we consider this, this topic today, not to excuse what may be a spiritual problem as simply a physical problem, or to ignore your hearts even when there may be real medical factors at play. The reality is our sin-filled world, in our sin-filled world, reasons for despair and discouragement abound. So what is to be the Christian's hope in despair? Well, that is the, the question that I hope to answer during today's sermon. So what is to be the Christian's hope in despair? You go, you go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. We're going to be in Exodus 5.1 through Exodus 6.1. And in these verses, we are going to encounter a despairing people, the people of Israel. But we're also going to encounter a God who provides hope for the hopeless. I just want to simply ask you three questions in today's sermon. These, these questions will serve as the outline for the sermon. And those questions are first, what tempts you to despair? What tempts you to despair? Second, what is your hope in despair? What is your hope in despair? In other words, where do you look for relief? And third, what is the only sure hope in despair? 
What is the only sure hope in despair? So we're going to look at these questions through the lens of the nation of Israel. There's something of a case study for us as we consider these questions. So I'll go ahead and, and answer that last question for you right now to give you at least a brief answer to that last question. What is the only sure hope in despair? Because I think the main idea of this text is that Jesus is the only sure hope in despair. Jesus is the only sure hope for the hopeless. But the first question that we are going to consider this morning, that first point of the sermon, is what tempts you to despair? Look with me at Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from their labor. Let's remember the context of where we are in the book of Exodus. Moses and Aaron had just finished bringing the good news to the people of Israel that God was going to deliver them. He brought the message of God's promise of deliverance to the people of Israel. We read this in Exodus 4.31, the verse immediately preceding our text today. Uh, The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshipped. Moses and Aaron had brought this wonderful news from God. The people worshipped. They were grateful for it. And so Moses and Aaron, the people of Israel, they seem to be on, on something of a spiritual or an emotional high as we come to this text this morning. However, their spiritual high does not last long. It, it quickly comes crashing down. As we see at the beginning of chapter 5, Moses and Aaron obey the Lord. They go to Pharaoh and they tell Pharaoh what God told them to do, to let the people of Israel go. Now, you may be wondering why they simply ask that Israel be given permission to hold a three-day festival or a a sacrifice in the wilderness. Uh, That's not quite what what God said he was going to do for the people of Israel. He was going to set them free. Well, it may be that we're missing some cultural nuance to this request. So some scholars think that if Pharaoh had agreed to this request, cultural custom would then have allowed a larger, more significant request to come. In other words, Pharaoh would have understood this as kind of an initial request to a larger request that was coming. Uh, Another option is that God simply knew Pharaoh would refuse, which God certainly did know that Pharaoh would refuse this request, and that God would work so powerfully that Pharaoh would eventually do more than he was asked and set the people free entirely, which is what happens. Uh, Pharaoh says to the people of Israel to get out eventually, just says, get out. So I lean towards that second option. I'm not exactly sure why we only have a request for a three-day sacrifice here, but I think that second option makes the most sense. Well, in any event, Pharaoh refuses the request of Moses and Aaron. Look again at verse 2. Pharaoh dismissively asks, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? 
I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord? Who is God? Uh, In some ways, that is the central question of the book of Exodus. Exodus, as I've said a number of times, is about God making himself known. So Exodus 6, verse 7, the text we're going to look at next week. And God says why he will deliver Israel. He says it's so that you, Israel, will know that I am the Lord your God. Exodus 14, 4. What does God give as the reason for the disasters he inflicts on Egypt? He says it is so that Egypt would know that he is God. So really, the the rest of our study in Exodus, the the remaining text that we're going to look at in the book of Exodus, is going to be God emphatically answering the question that Pharaoh asks. Who is the Lord? God is going to make that abundantly clear. He is going to make his power and his might and his glory unmistakably clear to the nation of Israel, to Pharaoh himself, and to the people of Egypt. But right now... Pharaoh refuses to let the people of Israel go. And his refusal to let the people of Israel go leads to their despair. And it leads to the despair of Moses himself. Look with me at verses 6 all the way through through verse 23. That day, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. So the overseers and foremen of the people went out and said to them, this is what Pharaoh says, I am not giving you straw. Go get straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, finish your assigned work each day just as you did when straw was provided. Then the Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people, were beaten and asked, Why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foremen went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. But he said, you are slackers, slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people, and why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Well, many think, many people smarter than I think the reason for the current war between Russia and Ukraine is because President Putin, 
the president of Russia feels threatened by the current Ukrainian government that has an increased loyalty to Europe than to Russia. And so many think that his goal in the invasion is to overthrow the current government of Ukraine and install a government that is loyal, or at least more loyal, to Russia instead. In some sense, he is he's telling Ukraine that you are to be loyal or you are to align with, with Russia and not Europe. If not, this is the consequence. Well, now, I am not 100% sure if that is true. I am not an international relations expert. But if that is true, it is very similar to what Pharaoh is doing here to Israel. Notice the reason that Pharaoh increases the oppression of God's people. He is trying to tighten his grip on Israel. He is trying to tighten his grip on this people. Look at verse 4. Why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Verses 8 and 9. For they are slackers. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. Verse 17. You are slackers. Slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now, why is this idea repeated so many times in the text? Why is Moses emphasizing this? Well, it's because Moses wants you to see what Pharaoh is really saying is, you may only serve me, not God. I am to be God to you. I am your king. Pharaoh is saying, any time that you have to serve or sacrifice to your God should be used to serve me instead. Brothers and sisters, this is what sin does to us. Sin wants to enslave us. It wants to dominate you. As we consider that Pharaoh here is trying to tighten his grip on the people of Israel, that he has no desire to let them go or even give them three days that they may serve their God, ask yourself what in your own life is fighting for your time and affections. What wants to to keep you, what wants to dominate you and keep you away from the Lord? Uh, In contrast to what Pharaoh here is doing to the people of Israel, trying to tighten his grip, strengthen his control. In contrast, what is God doing in the story of the Exodus? What is God doing in the Exodus? Well, God is forming a people, the nation of Israel, for his own possession. God frees the nation of Israel from their bondage in Egypt so that they might serve him instead. As a couple of authors put it in their book, Echoes of Exodus, they write this. So the point of the Exodus is not just for Israel to find deliverance from serving the old master. It is for them to find delight in serving the new one, the new master. This powerful truth is at the heart of Christian discipleship. The opening question of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the most beautiful statements of Christian doctrine, asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? In other words, you Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is profound, exodus-shaped, and delightful. That I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The freest people in the world are those who are owned by someone else. Service is liberty. 
Obedience is joy. Now, brothers and sisters, what those, what those writers in that book were saying, what the, the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism were saying, is that the Christian life is not simply one of freedom from something. The Christian life is not simply freedom from the bondage of sin. It is a life of freedom to serve God. God frees us from our bondage of sin to serve him instead. As Paul puts it in Romans 6.22, you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God. You have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God. Christian, true joy and true peace comes not from being delivered from earthly circumstances or earthly trials. True joy and peace does not even come just from being set free from sin. It comes by finding delight in serving God instead. It can be a joyful obedience because God is a kind and loving master. If you are a Christian, you are not your own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You're freed from chasing after the gods of money or sex or companionship or popularity or beauty or insert whatever other idol that you want to put into that. You have been free to serve God instead. Now that, brothers and sisters, is good news. That is good news. So Pharaoh here in our text, he increases the Israelites' workload to tighten the reins, to keep them from serving the Lord and to serve him instead. While straw was an important part of the brick-making process, again, I'm not an international relations expert, also not a brick-making expert, but evidently the straw helped hold together the clay that the, the bricks were made from. It helped hold it together to bind it, and then once it dried, it also helped to strengthen those bricks that were produced. Uh, so the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt. They were building cities for Egypt. They were producing bricks to build these cities. And evidently, the straw to make these bricks had previously been provided to the nation of Israel. I guess the Egyptians had been gathering straw for them, but no more. Pharaoh was now going to require the nation of Israel to gather the straw themselves. In other words, he's saying if they have time to sacrifice, they now have time to gather straw, certainly. Despite this increased workload, the amount of bricks that they were required to produce on a daily basis or a weekly basis or whatever it was would not be reduced. This is a difficult situation that the Israelites find themselves in. And this difficult situation causes the Israelites to despair. We see in verse 14 that the Israelite foremen were beaten when they were predictably unable to meet their quota of bricks. We see in verses 15 and 16 that they go and cry out to Pharaoh asking for mercy. Pharaoh does not grant mercy. Look at verse 19. The Israelite foremen or the, the leaders of the Israelites, saw that they were in trouble. And what do they do in response to their trouble? They despair. They complain against Moses and Aaron. We see that in verse 21. They grow hopeless. We see nothing of the belief in the Lord that they had at the end of chapter 4. Moses himself seems to grow hopeless. Look at verses 22 and 23. 
So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. Brothers and sisters, I want to return to that question that I asked you at the beginning of the sermon in our introduction. The question that is serving as this first point of the sermon. What tempts you to despair? Is it health issues? Financial issues? Things related to your work? Family problems? Unfulfilled desires? Is it something else? Take a moment to think about it. But I also want to ask you a second question this morning. What is your source of hope? What tempts you to despair, but what is your source of hope? That is the the second question of the sermon, the, the second point of the sermon. What is your source of hope? In other words, where are you looking for relief? In other words, what is it that you think you need to escape from the despair that you might be feeling? What do you think needs to change? Is it your circumstances? Is it that you need a a different job, improved health? What is it that you are hoping for? I don't know if you know this, but I went to a military college for my my university education. It was a, a very demanding environment and the light at the end of the tunnel, what we were all hoping for, what we were looking forward to more than anything else was graduation. For four years, we looked forward to graduation. In fact, as, as freshmen, as first-year students, part of the hazing process of the college was we had to memorize the number of days we had left until graduation, as well as the number of days that all the sophomores, juniors, and seniors had until their date of graduation. You could expect as a freshman at least once a week that one of those sophomores, juniors, or seniors was going to ask, them, ask you how many days until I graduate. Unless you wanted to do a bunch of push-ups, better know the answer. Graduation was our hope of relief. It was what we were looking forward to. It was our light at the end of the tunnel. We could not wait to graduate and and escape to, to gain our freedom. Brothers and sisters, where do you look for relief when you face difficulties? Take a moment to think about it. Well, what I want you to see this morning is how you answer that question reveals what you think is at the root of your discouragement and your despair. How you answer that question, where you look for relief, says a lot about you, where you think, what you think is the root of your discouragement or despair, or what you think the cause of your discouragement or despair is. I want to encourage you this morning that there is real hope in the midst of despair, But before you can see that hope, you must understand the root of your despair. Brothers and sisters, the first thing you need to see is that your circumstances, your circumstances are not the reason for your discouragement and despair. They are not the root of your discouragement and despair. Your circumstances, whatever you may be experiencing, are not unimportant. They are very important. But by themselves, they are not the reason for your feelings of hopelessness. 
Now, now, friends, I do not say this to minimize whatever trials you might be experiencing. The Israelites were facing real trouble here. They were enslaved to a ruthless dictator. They are being beaten for not being able to fulfill some unrealistic expectations of making bricks. You may be facing extraordinarily difficult circumstances in your life. Our sin-filled world presents many reasons for despair. But friends, your, your situation is not fundamentally what needs to change. That is because the root of your despair is not your circumstances. It is your heart. Again, I do not say that to, to minimize or discount any real medical factors that contribute, but simply to focus on the spiritual side of the equation. The problem is not your circumstances. Let me turn your attention back to the text and back to Israel to show you that this is true. Well, this question that, that Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord? It seems to be the same question that the Israelites and Moses are wrestling with in chapter 5 as well. When Pharaoh increases their oppression, they are no longer so sure of the answer to that question. They are no longer so confident in the Lord. The God who seemed so big and powerful when he promised to deliver them now seems small. Their faith proves fleeting. Look at verse 15. Notice that the Israelite foremen cry out to help for Pharaoh, not the Lord. In verse 431, Exodus 431, they had been encouraged to know that God had paid attention and heard their previous cries to him. But when the trouble increased, what do they do? They go to Pharaoh instead. They look for earthly deliverance instead of heavenly deliverance. Notice as well that three times in verses 15 and 16, three times these Israelite leaders call themselves Pharaoh's servants. Now perhaps they're just being respectful to Pharaoh as they go and, and talk to him. But considering that Pharaoh was trying to get Israel to serve him, not God, I, I think this shows up in the text for a reason. I think the Israelites are essentially saying to Pharaoh, look, we are willing to be your servants and give up this God business as long as you would make our lives easier. We are, are, are willing to serve you instead, just make our life easier. Friends, ask yourself, what is it that you think that you need to make your life happy? Is it God or is it something else? In verse 20, when the Israelite leaders come from meeting with Pharaoh, they confront Moses and Aaron. They essentially ask God to judge Moses and Aaron for ever going to Pharaoh in the first place. They are afraid that Pharaoh will kill them. They have a greater fear of Pharaoh than they do of God. Any confidence they had at the end of chapter 4 in God's promise of deliverance seems to have vanished. Where were the Israelites looking for relief? Pharaoh. What were they hoping in? A change in their circumstances. Their hope was not rooted in the Lord. It was rooted in their circumstances. So when things got hard, their confidence in God vanished. As we, as we saw, Moses himself doubted. Remember what God had told Moses back in Exodus 4.21. We looked at this last week. God told Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the people go. At least at first. 
So Pharaoh's refusal to let the people go when Moses and Aaron first approach is exactly what God said would happen. It should not have been a surprise, and it was not a surprise to Moses or Aaron or the people of Israel. And yet, what was Moses' reaction? Look at verse 22 again. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people, and why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Well, it's like, of course you haven't rescued your people at all. This is exactly what God said. It's like Moses never heard a word of what the Lord had said to him. He simply looks out at the circumstances of the people, the trouble that has come to them, and because trouble has come to them, it has come to him as well, and his own faith seems to be shaken. However, I do want you to see what Moses does with his doubts. Unlike Israel, he takes his doubts to the Lord. He cries out to God. He comes to God with his troubles. And brothers and sisters, this is the right thing. This is the correct thing to do with your doubts and, and your, your struggles. Moses' faith was, was shaken, but not shattered. So what was God up to here? Why would God promise deliverance only to allow the trials and sufferings of his people to increase? One reason, the reason we kind of thought about last week, was so that his glory might be displayed as he performed signs and wonders in Egypt and and defeated Pharaoh. However, I think our text this week draws us to a different reason, another reason. It was to test the faith of Israel. We saw back in Exodus 4.31 that Israel had believed the message that Moses had brought. They worshipped God. But friends, their faith had not yet been tested. Their faith had not yet been tested. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. You, Christian, are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that, the reason you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God permits trials in your life to test your faith, to prove the genuineness of your faith, to refine your faith, to remove the impurities and grow you in Christ-likeness. The end result, which is the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ. As a whole, the, the people of Israel failed the test here. Brothers and sisters, what about you? How quick are you to to doubt God when things go wrong? When things do not go according to plan? One writer put it this way. Many Christians are given the opportunity in Sunday worship to affirm, I believe in God the Father Almighty. This is all well and good. But we do not actually know that we truly believe in such a God until Monday faces us with experiences which suggest that he is far from almighty and pretty unfatherly. 
Otherwise, in other words, it's an easy thing to come on Sundays and say, I believe, just to sing songs, to hear God's word, to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. But what about when Monday comes and trials come, we go back to work, life gets hard, and we question, is God truly almighty? Does he truly love me? Is he truly my good heavenly father? The, genuine, the genuineness of your faith is tested in trials. Things going wrong in your life is not an indication that God is not on his throne. Things going wrong in your life does not mean that God is not sovereign. He may be and surely is doing things that you cannot see, orchestrating things for his glory. But he's also testing your faith. Look, we, we all have times of hopelessness and despair. We all have times of discouragement. Many faithful Christians have had very long bouts of discouragement and despair. Some very godly men and women have had lifelong battles with this very issue. Some seem to be more prone to this issue, and we want to be gracious if that is not us, because we have our own particular sin struggles. But I want to encourage you that maybe in despair right now, or, or may be in despair in the future, that God was gracious to Israel and Moses despite their doubt. God will be gracious to you. God is a God of forgiveness and love and mercy. Nevertheless, I do want to say that if you always descend into hopelessness and despair at the first sign of trouble, if that is the, the pattern of your life, I think you need to ask whether your hope is in the Lord or in something else. You need to ask, is the faith that I claim to have genuine? Do I really have faith in the Lord? Look, this does not mean that it is wrong to feel sad. The Bible clearly says that sadness and mourning are appropriate. There are times in our life where sadness and mourning are appropriate. We find psalms of lament in the Bible. But there is a difference between sadness and, and discouragement and the deep despair that Israel seemed to have here that drove them away from the Lord. The psalms of lament in the Bible usually end in a profession of faith in the Lord. We're struggling in this situation, but Lord, our hope is in you. Remember, Moses runs to the Lord in his discouragement here in our text. The people of Israel run away from the Lord, and they go to Pharaoh instead. Uh, friends, which one of those responses best describes you? You will, you will always despair when trials come if your hope and your joy and your contentment and your peace is rooted in your circumstances. This is the story of Israel. Their circumstances dictated their attitude. The hope of the Israelites was rooted in their circumstances. How many times did Israel grumble even after they are delivered from Egypt? They lack food. They lack water. They lack something else that they want. What do they do? They grumble against the Lord. They want to go back to Egypt. As soon as life gets hard and they don't get what they want, they doubt and they despair. It is the story of the Israelites. Brothers and sisters, if your hope is in your circumstances, this will be the story of your life as well. Your attitude and your emotions will go up and they will come down. You will find joy when life is good and find despair when life is tough. Your circumstances are a cruel master. Your circumstances are a cruel master. 
How is it that the Apostle Paul could write this in Philippians chapter 4? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was able to do all things, which means he was able to bear all burdens because his hope was in the Lord. Paul's hope was not in his circumstances, it was in the Lord. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. In Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. Well, the foundation of Paul's confidence and hope and faith and joy and contentment was not rooted in his circumstances. It was rooted in the Lord. Now, friends, this, is, this does not mean, all of this does not mean it is wrong to pray that the Lord would give us relief from whatever trials we might be experiencing. That is a, a good thing. That is a, a fine thing to pray. We see these prayers often in the Bible. How often do we pray, even as a church, for God to work in some specific situation in a member's life? But at the same time, you should pray that God will help you trust in Him and rest in Him no matter what. That God, your will be done, not my will be done. So that brings us to the last question of the sermon. What is the only sure hope in despair? What is the only sure hope in despair? We ask, what is your hope in despair? Now we're going to consider what is the only sure hope in despair. To put it simply, like I did at the beginning of the sermon, the only sure hope in despair is Jesus Christ. Look with me at Exodus 6, verse 1. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Well, when Moses cried out to the Lord, when, when he expressed his own doubts and his despairs to the Lord, God was gracious to him, and God was gracious to Israel through him, and he answered. God reminded Moses of what he had promised to do for his, his people. We're going to think more about this next week. In reaffirming his promise to deliver his people, God was reminding Moses that his hope and the hope of Israel was to be in him. It was to be in the Lord. He was calling Moses and Israel to place their trust in him. One author calls this verse, Exodus 6.1, the hinge of the whole Exodus enterprise. It is a turn your eyes upon Jesus moment. For transformation comes through seeing the Lord as he is, past, present, and future. What well, should have been the source of Israel's hope? It should have been God Almighty who had promised to deliver them. If their hope had been in this God, they would have run to God with their discouragement, not Pharaoh. If their hope had been in their God, their circumstances would not have driven them to despair. Instead, the emotions of the Israelites bobbed up and down like a boat floating on the sea. 
As one pastor put it, despair is interpreting your future through the lens of your weaknesses. Hope is interpreting your future, not through the lens of your weakness, but the lens of God's strength. And brothers and sisters, I want you to see that the only sure hope and despair, the only true light at the, tu- at the end of the tunnel, the only true source of joy and contentment and peace and hope is God himself. The Christian life is to be characterized by a forward-looking hope. There is a hope of relief in the Christian life. There is a light at the end of the tunnel that we are guaranteed to reach because we serve an all-powerful, promise-keeping God who is sovereign over all things. Again, to go back to the Apostle Peter, he tells us the key to living the Christian life in 1 Peter 1.13. He writes this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ is another way to say the, the revelation of Jesus or set your hope completely on the grace to be brought when Christ returns. As Christians, we are waiting, as it is written in Titus 2.13, for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A Christian, you have eternal hope. As Christians, our hope is not to be fixed on our earthly circumstances, but it is to be fixed on our God who has saved us and will call us into his eternal glory. We are to set our hope on Christ's return and the day in which there will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears, and no more pain. That day is not today, though we pray it would be later today. But the source of a Christian's present hope is the certain hope of the future. The source of a a Christian's joy is the future joy of being in God's presence. The source of a Christian's contentment is the promise of future rest. And the good news is that as Christians, this is a certain hope because we know that God has already acted on our behalf. As Christians who are living after Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we do not just look forward. We do look forward to Christ's return. But we have the immense privilege of getting to look back on God's redeeming work at the cross. You already have the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of your redemption, a foretaste of the glory to come. At this point in time, when we come to Exodus 5, Israel could only really look forward to their promised deliverance, the promise that God would redeem them. But if you are a Christian, your deliverance has already been accomplished. Yes, you are waiting for Jesus to return to experience the fullness of your salvation, But your deliverance has already been accomplished. You have already been set free from bondage to sin and set free to serve the Lord. And here is the key thing for you to understand. Jesus did not come to deliver you from whatever earthly suffering you might be enduring. Now, Jesus certainly has the power to change your circumstances. He can and does work miracles in the lives of Christians every day. We pray that God would be at work and that he would heal. He would grant employment. He would answer other prayer requests, and sometimes he does, and we praise God for that. But Jesus' primary mission was not to give you a better life now in all the ways that you might want. Jesus came to redeem you from your sin. He came to give you a new heart and a new nature. 
to deliver you from the tyranny and the oppression of being consumed by your circumstances and to find your hope in him instead. If you are a Christian, you are lost in your sin, separated from God, in the pit of despair. But God acted. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live the perfect life that you could not live. He never once doubted God's goodness. To die the death that you deserve to die on the cross and to free you from your bondage to sin by being raised from the dead three days later. Friends, if you are here and not a Christian, I hope you see that what you most need is not a change in your circumstances, but a change in your heart. You need forgiveness from your sins. And that only comes by repenting of your sins, confessing that you have rebelled against God, and placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I urge you to do that today. Jesus does give joy and peace and contentment and hope. We can have those things here in this life. But it's not because he promises to make everything in this life better, but because he gives you a new heart with new attitudes, a a new perspective, a new master. He can give joy and hope and peace even in the middle of difficult circumstances. You can say that I have learned to be content in all things, just like Paul. And there is great freedom in that because it means that you can find hope no matter your situation. There is great freedom in that because it means that you can find hope no matter your situation. Hope and joy can be constant companions no matter your circumstances. So brothers and sisters, as I close, let me ask you these questions. What tempts you to despair? What is your hope? Where are you looking for relief? And finally, and most importantly, do you see Jesus as the only sure source of hope in the midst of despair? Do you see Jesus as the only sure source of hope in the midst of despair? Let's pray.